This is my favorite album. 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 Hi, I'm Sarah Corcoran and this is my favorite album. Welcome to My Favourite Album with me, Andrea Cleary. Joining me to speak about her favourite album today is Sarah Corcoran, who alongside Pamela Connolly, Kathy McGuinness and Rachel Lyons make up the Irish indie rock band Pillow Queens. Sarah plays guitar, bass and shares lead vocals with Pamela Connolly. Today, Sarah joins me to talk about her favourite album, The Con by Tegan and Sarah, the fifth studio album from the Canadian duo made up of identical twin sisters Tegan and Sarah Quinn. The songwriting credit for the album's 14 tracks, co-produced by Chris Weller, formerly of Death Cab for Cutie, is divided equally between the sisters. More importantly, this is Sarah Corcoran's favourite album. Hello, Andrea. Hi. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm fantastic. I'm Good. very excited to hear about this album. I'm very excited album. to gush about it. Yeah. So it was released in 2007. Yes. Which is a long time ago. Oh yeah, it doesn't feel that long ago though. Mm. Let's set the scene. Yeah, well tell me what was life like for you in 2007? What was Sarah doing? I was 16 when I first heard this album. Mm. And so I think it came out in the summer of 2007. I didn't hear it until kind of late September. So it was just after I turned 17 actually maybe. That would make more sense. Mm. And my cousin who lives in Australia who was kind of like my cool cousin, told me that I should check out this band. Mm. And as soon as I heard them, I was like, okay, yeah, I think this is my vibe. Um, I wasn't really a huge music fan. Generally, like my parents didn't really listen to music. My family weren't into music. There wasn't music in my house growing up, except for the odd Frank Sinatra or, mm. I mean, audiobooks were kind of a thing at home, but uh, not really music. Um, so when I kind of first heard this, I was surprised at how much I liked it. But I watched, they did a kind of acoustic session um, on, I think it was called Spinner's Interface. Like Spinner was this like online magazine, I think. And they had these sessions where they did like acoustic performances of their songs. So I watched them. They were these like identical twins with haircuts I'd never seen before. They had facial piercings and they were, to me, just quite obviously two queer women who weren't kind of hiding it. Mm. And in 2007, that wasn't really, it wasn't heard of as much as it is now anyway. And if it was, it was kind of seen as like this big statement. But Mm. they were more about their music than they were about their sexuality, um, even though they kind of weren't hiding their sexuality. And young Sarah just turned 17 had a slight inkling she might be a lesbian potentially (laughs) but also wasn't there yet Hmm. so when I saw them perform I saw myself in them I loved that one of them was named Sarah even though she spelled her name differently I was like oh my god that's my name (laughs) and then I found out that we share a birthday September 19th and they were born in 1980 and I was born in 1990 so I felt like the 10 year later triplet (laughs) who was now kind of finding my family in the form of these twins who were making incredible music so what did you say was their fourth their album? fifth fifth album, album. Oh my god yeah. okay mad um so I obviously came to them kind of late mm. but then everything that I heard from them I was obsessed with and like straight away I just adored them and set the scene for me when you I mean how, how did you 
come to get the album. This is two th- for any young listeners. Mm. In 2007, one couldn't just search for an album. Yes. How, how, how did you find it? How did it come to be in your possession? So I don't think I had the actual album for probably a few years. I went and downloaded the singles from LimeWire. Yeah. Illegal downloads, terrible. Would never do it now. As a musician, <laughs> bad, bad thing to do. But anyway, I was young. I didn't have money. And um, yeah, so I think I would have had the singles and then anything they put on YouTube, I would have kind of accessed it through that. They put out a making of documentary of the album as well. So I kind of learned the songs through that mm. because they kind of went through the different production elements. And um, it was only two of them were kind of like the lead members of the band. And then they had kind of session studio musicians come in to play on the album. So Chris Waller from Death Cab for Cutie played on it. And then there was Hunter Bergen, I think, from AFI played bass on it. Um, and they had Khaki King, who's like this amazing musician, play on it. Um, and they just kind of had their friends come in and out of the studio to write bass parts and drum parts and they just kind of did the obviously songwriting and guitars um, and vocal performance but that making of was I think probably the reason that I loved the album so much because it was the first time that I saw music being made I kind of didn't really understand music before then hmm. um, I attempted to learn guitar when I was 15 I'd gone to guitar lessons and I found it difficult because I couldn't stretch my fingers enough and I wasn't the best in the class so I had no interest in continuing <laughs> doing it because I wasn't getting any praise so I was like mm. no I uh, forgot about this so I kind of put my guitar away but when I heard Tegan and Sarah and watched this making of album I took my guitar out again because I really wanted to learn the songs and, and just yeah play along to the album so they're probably a lot of the reason as to why I'm making music today. I, as I said to you before we started recording, I hadn't heard this album mm. before you met, before you chose it. Yeah. And I've been listening to it over the past week or so. And I I can feel and hear parallels between your really? sound. Yeah, I think I can. That's I think in, in some of the... In in some of the rockier moments on there on on the album, because a lot of it is quite poppy actually as well. But in some of the guitar lines on on some of it, I'm like, oh, I can definitely feel yeah. a through line here. Yeah. Um, are are the other members of Pillow Queens fans as well? Huge fans. Yeah. Like the yeah. first day that we all got into a room together, I started playing the opening lines of Nineteen, one of the singles mm. on the album, just on the guitar because it was like. I think it was probably because I was nervous and I wanted to show them that I knew how to play the guitar. So I was like, I know this song really well. Yeah. And everybody just joined in because everyone knew the song so well. And then we were doing like four part harmonies of the song and we were like, okay, this is going to work. Like we're all (laughs) on the same page here. This is going to be fine. So that was kind of, yeah, it was like the first time we played together. And that that song from, I mean, just listening to that song over the past week, I was just absolutely floored by it. Mm. It's an incredibly emotional song. And I can't imagine being 16 and listening to that. What was that experience like? Like, I can't explain it. (laughs) Like my, the first band that I played in was an acoustic two piece, very much inspired by Tegan and Sarah. Mm. And we had a song called who we were but the chorus line was we were 17 singing 19 so it's like it it had that much impact on me that I wrote a song about listening to the song when I was that age yeah so like that was yeah I mean when you're that age everything you just feel everything so much more anyway Mm. like I was listening back I hadn't listened to the album in a while like I kind of dip in and out of different singles but like I listened back to the album start to finish a couple times before this and I was like I don't think if it came to me now, it would have the same impact at all. Okay. But it was so much more than the album. It was it was 
a lot about them being themselves unapologetically and it was the first time I'd seen a queer representation that wasn't a, a negative representation like I'd mm-hmm. seen a lot of sort of LGBTQ themed movies that sort of always ended in like some tragedy yeah. you know it was just like oh well okay you had your fun you know but mm-hmm. you know now the main character is diagnosed with HIV or now you know the main character throws himself off the top of a building and you're like why does it have to end like this? Why does it have to end? Yeah. Why can't it just be this like through thing that continues to happen and it can just be a happy life? So this was my first time seeing two people confidently, happily thriving as queer women. Mm. And they were just happy enough with that. It wasn't like something they hid. It wasn't something that was all their personality was. It was just one facet of them and they were happy to talk about it and happy not to talk about it. Mm. And I loved that. And did you have other people around? Were, were you the, the, the only p- potential at this time lesbian that you knew? Or did, was was there anybody else around who you could kind of give this album to as a bit of a litmus test and be like, hmm, what do you think of this? Yeah, so it's funny. I There was one, there was actually like a group in school who I remember them talking about it. There was one girl came in and suddenly she had a haircut very similar to Tegan and Sarah and mm. I was like oh what's this about now hmm. and I was like maybe we should be friends and I remember uh, like you know sliding into a conversation with her and being like oh you know Tegan and Sarah are coming this summer do you listen to them and she was like oh my god yeah and she was Canadian actually so she was like oh they're from my hometown or whatever and I was just like oh my god this is amazing and then like became friends with her and the girl who would then become my girlfriend through talking about Tegan and Sarah wow. and then just being like do you guys love this band too I love this band and it was this kind of like flag we were all waving, being like, we can't say it, but you know, I think we're all gay. And like, just sort of not talking about it, but talking about it. They played a gig in 2008 in the Button Factory, um, the summer of 2008, and I was underage, but I went. Mm-hmm. And I tried to go with a couple of friends, but they didn't get in. I think I ended up going with my sister, who would come out to me later that year. Right. As a lesbian also. But now she didn't really listen to Tegan and Sarah. But um, it was definitely like there was a comfort around the fact that it was sort of accepted in a mainstream kind of way. Like I was in the button factory yeah. listening to Tegan and Sarah. There was a group of women at the front, in the front row, like screaming up, you know, we love you. We love you. You're amazing. And I was like, oh, my God. Wow. Like this is my first time experiencing this. And it turned out that the the women in the front row were uh, Rachel Lyons of Pillow Queens and her friends, which I didn't know at the time. I wouldn't meet them for <laughs> over 10 years. But, uh, oh, that's incredible. Yeah, but, That's yeah, amazing. It was amazing. And I think, like, yeah, it was the acceptance of, like, even my friends, my stray friends, not that I categorise them, but, you know, like, my friends who weren't kind of having those same experiences as me were also really into that album. They loved Tegan and Sarah. They were, like, happily booking tickets to go see them in London the following summer with me, and they were really into them. And I was like my God, do you not like hate them because they're lesbians? You know, because yeah. I had this internalized homophobia. I expected them to not want to listen to them because they were a gay band. Yeah. And they were like, no, they're good. And I was like, oh my God, okay, maybe this isn't such a terrible thing. Maybe I can tell them. That's such a huge thing to yeah. have all, all of that wrapped up in one album. I know, one, yeah. one, But that, it's, 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 it's amazing. <laughs> Tell me a bit about the lyrics on the album because mm. there's, it's, um, I, I don't know who said it, um, but it's been called emo in spirit, but if not in sound. Mm. Um, and I do think there's a lot of emotions on this record. Oh, definitely, yeah. The, I'm trying to think the track order. 
Um, I can't remember the name. The opening track. The opening track, I believe, is about a wedding. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I'm married in the sun. I was married. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. Um, but there's a line in it, and it's like, I look into the mirror for evil that just isn't there. And it's about, like, I think Sarah wrote it, and she was, she was getting married... But the reaction she was getting was really like, this is wrong. This is a sin. You shouldn't be doing this. You know, it's the wrong thing. And she was trying to assess, you know, is is it? Am I doing the wrong thing? And she's looking in the mirror going, am I evil? Am I inherently wrong? Is there something wrong with me? And just being like, but there's evil that like, it's just not there. And I remember watching or listening to an interview with her about that. And I was like, oh my God, is being gay actually not wrong? <laughs> and it was my, it was the first time that I'd questioned that in myself, wow. that it might actually be okay yeah and that was incredible but like that there's so much of that wrapped up in it and then I think like even the line in 19 like I felt you in my legs before I ever met you it was like such a kind of passionate line it's not overtly sexual in any way especially not by today's standards but then when I was listening to her I was like you're writing that about a woman Mm. and I couldn't believe that Mm. and that this was okay and like looking around my friends my group of friends and they were singing along to this and I was like oh my god it was insane and you hadn't come out to anybody at this stage no, no wow no. okay so it's just <laughs> it took a while little, little Sarah in, yeah. in her in her own mind just yeah. being like this this might be okay this yeah might be having fine. a secret relationship <laughs> with someone I was in school with being like I'm not telling anyone never mind it took a while but yeah yeah how did it influence you M- musically but also just just generally from mm. from from that stage to now has it has it been with you through different times in your life when do you find yourself going back to it mm. yeah definitely i remember musically anyway uh tegan started producing music um probably about 2 years after that um and when i tell you like i was absorbed in them like i everything that they did i needed to be a part of mm. they she wrote a book to play at the opening of an Augustine Burroughs uh, reading of a book he'd just written. Mm. I I bought the book, I read the book, I read everything Augustine Burroughs had ever touched because I needed to because he was friends with Tegan Quinn. Like this was <laughs> they did a shoe line with Macbeths. I needed to have the shoes. I didn't <laughs> okay. I didn't skate, I didn't need them, but I needed to have these Macbeth skate shoes with Tegan's name associated with them. Like I was obsessed. So when Tegan's, Tegan your favourite out of the two? She was, yeah. certainly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and when she started producing music, she was producing, like, people who were just really starting out. And I kind of watched their MySpace pages go up and be like, I worked with Tegan Quinn on this. She produced my EP. And she does, like, backing vocals on one of the tracks or something. And I was like, oh, my God. This is... I could do that. Maybe Tegan Quinn could produce my EP. I didn't even play music or write songs <laughs> at the time. I, I wrote, like... Poetry. I had a deviant art poetry page that I put up my thoughts and feelings on, but I didn't make music. Mm. But I wanted to because there was maybe potential that Tegan Quinn would produce my EP one day. So I like got my guitar out of my attic, started playing songs, started writing songs because I thought maybe that would happen one day. Mm. Um, hasn't happened yet. We'll see. <laughs> Did uh, you find yourself <laughs> trying to write songs that sounded like them? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, completely. But that was, it was the only music I'd ever immersed myself in like that. So it was sure. the only music that I cared to write. Yeah. This was music to me. Anything else was just like, mm, that's yeah, like radio pop or, you know, that's something my sister would listen to. Or, <laughs> it's Westlife. You know, I yeah. just wasn't a big Westlife fan now, I would say. But, you know, it was just, it wasn't as important to me. I wanted to write music that was that important and was that kind of emotional mm-hmm. and that um, 
yeah, that meant something to me. Um, then kind of more generally, I think I watched their their rise. Like, I mean, when I started listening to them, they weren't, obviously they'd done quite a lot, but they were very much underground, like indie musicians who were playing venues the size of the Button Factory mm. wherever they went. Um, and that was getting slightly bigger when I went to see them in London. There was, uh, they were playing at Shepherd's Bush Empire, which is obviously a bigger venue. Um, and at home in Canada, they would play bigger venues as well. But they were like, generally not a massive massive band and then they wrote music for the lego movie okay they wrote a song called everything is awesome did they write that they wrote that and (gasps) performed that yeah oh and that song i believe got nominated for i want to say an oscar like it's a definitely no maybe i'm wrong it can't be an oscar it might have been um, an oscar it might have been but maybe it was a grammy i can't remember anyway it was something that was very kind of it made it very prestigious even though the song is god awful it's really sure. really terrible but you know <laughs> it was suddenly climbing from this really underground scene that only i cared about as far as i was concerned to like mm. being far more mainstream i remember they did they played at some ceremony in honor of pink who was obviously this huge celebrity at the time um and such an icon to lesbian women across the world mm-hmm. and then they performed with taylor swift at one point and i was like how is this happening um they did a song with tiesto and they kind of just made that like real big leap into the mainstream that mm. i was like oh wow and they're very much like make a living from music now and are they're not household names but like they're known mm. um they've done really well so that was very inspiring to me as well that I was like okay you can start off small and you can do what you want to do and it can be very authentic you don't have to kind of like stand in front of Simon Cowell and get him to say yes for you to enter into the mainstream Mm. it can be like this band thing that can be very authentic and very yourself and very queer and still exist in this other world so that was quite cool um and then they made they made a movie they went to India um on a tour and they made a movie and I think it was called Get Along and they made books and everything. And I just saw it kind of open this whole world that mm-hmm. I wanted to do because I was kind of didn't know what I wanted to do, but I didn't really want to make up my mind either. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make music. I wanted to make films. Maybe I wanted to do a book, you know, wanted to do podcasts, all that kind of thing. And then I was like, oh, this could be the way to do it. Yeah. You don't have to really make up your mind. You can just sort of keep doing what you want and opportunities will open up Mm. and when when you see them kind of having this very mainstream success is there a part of you that feels quite protective of their early years and like they they were mine first oh definitely yeah so they played in vicar street like three years ago they came back and they didn't have any guitars they just had backing tracks and they'd all gotten like dance beats behind them and Mm. they were playing all songs from the con but they'd changed them into like really poppy songs what was that like horrible i was so upset i was so so (laughs) upset because it was just like the band that i loved so much and they couldn't do any wrong to me but then i was like oh no Hmm. and i'd brought i think like i think all of us i think the whole band went um all the pilgrims went to see them and i was really like no guys they're still amazing like we should try and tour with them yeah and they were like "Mm, they're not really what they used to be sarah and i was like no they are we should go see them (laughs) and then i couldn't really continue to sort of push that I was like maybe we wouldn't really be a good match anymore like maybe yeah. they are just doing sort of dancey pop stuff now so that was kind of upsetting mm. um but their I think their most recent album that they brought out was all songs that they'd written when they were teenagers and they reworked them in the studio they brought out a book 
and their book's now been made into a TV show. So there's kind of a bit more of that old Tegan and Sarah that I loved is yeah. back. That kind of DIY, very underground. Yeah, exactly. So it's this is your favourite album, but it's, I think, the the idea that it would be the best album in the world. Is that something that, that, <laughs> that would sit right with you? And if not, is there anything that you would change about the album? It's funny because I think because I watched all the making ofs and all that kind of thing, I used to really think the production on this album was everything. Mm. When I listen to it now, it sounds like a it sounds like a demo record. Like it doesn't sound like it's been produced to mm. me at all, which I find so interesting. Like the acoustic guitar on it sounds like it's just been plugged directly into an interface. There's no there's just no love in the sound of it. And I don't yeah. understand that. Uh, like them being musicians who'd been touring since they were very young. Um they were yeah, I would change the production. I would get it like remixed completely. Sure. And probably remastered, yeah, because it's not, it doesn't hold up now in the slides. Maybe it didn't then either, but I had nothing to compare it to, really. Mm. But when I recorded my first album with my first band, and the producer was like, you know, what's what's the album you kind of want it to sound like? And I was like, Tina's Hair is the Con. And we would play it when we'd like finish a song that we'd recorded, we'd play the Con. And we would be like, oh, cool, yeah, it sounds a little bit like that, like yeah. production wise. And now there's no way I'd use that in the studio as a reference. But is that is that a change in your ear? Is it a change in maturity? Or is it a change in the sound that we are, have grown used to hearing? Because I do, I do think it is like it's slightly janky in places. Yeah. <laughs> but I've, I find it really, really charming for that. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. So may, maybe it's a it's a it's a change in our tastes more than anything. I think that's a lot to do with it. Yeah. I do. Because like, although that being said, the reason that like, there's the style of drums on that album is really like, Tom heavy. Like there's very few cymbals on mm. a lot of the songs unless they, because they added the drums after. The way they recorded the song or this album is so strange. They recorded everything to click. Right. And then they brought a drummer in to play drums over the songs with vocals and everything done <laughs> to write and record drums over that. Yeah. Which I can't understand how that would even work. Or why you would do that. It must have been a scheduling thing or something. Mm. I don't know, but it's so strange. But as a result, there's just like so much like really beefy toms and not that much high end. And But that's something that when Pillow Queens are recording, I'm always like, more toms. Always toms. Really <laughs> loads of toms. Like keep it down. Symbols are only there for like detail or whatever. Mm. Um, But then I think if you listen to any of these songs if they come on shuffle or they're on a playlist or whatever like the volume drops and everything like yes. there's not like the production is bad yeah <laughs> it's yeah. not like there is a taste thing but it is badly produced yeah <laughs> which is so it's mad because like Chris Walla obviously was you know in Death Cab for Cutie was this like big-ish musician at the time and, yeah you know had friends and all the rest of it and he had this he'd been in a studio yeah. <laughs> it was not just somebody on their laptop creating yeah. this out of nothing <laughs> anyway still great it is very charming for that yeah who needs to hear this album who's 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 who is at a point in their life where they just need this album and you're going to show up at their door and you're going to hand it to them and say this this is for you i don't know if it's necessary anymore which is really kind of sad but when you have musicians like say girl in red who's this like much younger musician from i guess scandinavia somewhere i'm not entirely sure um who's like singing about having crushes on women or you know 
her girlfriend or, you know, all these experiences that aren't subtle, you know, you'll only know if you need to know kind of references mm. that Tegan and Sarah had. They're just very out and proud sort of things, which I think is better. Like mm. it's it's far more, there's nobody kind of going to be questioning being like, is it okay to be queer now? They're just going to be like, oh yeah, it is. It's fine because mm. it's relatively mainstream. It's definitely really accessible. Um so I think, yeah, it was definitely such an important touchstone for me, but I don't know that it would be for anybody now. Mm. And that's good. It is good. Yeah. It means we've made progress, yeah. which is great. Maybe it's like the last of those yeah. sort of wink albums. Exactly, like, yeah. I mean, 2007, like it's it's a long time ago, but it really isn't yeah. in, in a lot of ways as well. Like there's a, a lot has changed since mm. 2007, so... It's not really that kind of clandestine, like exactly passing yeah. it under the desk in school. Like, have you seen this? Yes. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. No. So that's good. Could you love someone who doesn't love this record? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You'd have to really like. They'd have to respect my love for it anyway. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. It was such an important. It was such an important album for me. It was such an important time for me becoming who I am um, in all ways. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Definitely they'd have to respect the album. They couldn't yeah. be like, no, that was crap. Yeah. Because it wasn't. They can talk shit about the production, but everything yeah. else you're like, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because it was so important. Um, and when you listen to it now, mm. like, what what does it do for, like, does it does it bring you back to that time? Does it make you see yourself as a younger person what, what what are the kind of things that that happens when you listen to these songs yeah it does bring me back to that time massively so um it makes me it always makes me want to play the songs on guitar every time I listen because I guess that was something I really wanted to do when I first listened to it and I couldn't I wasn't mm. able to so now I'm like oh I know these chords now so I can play it and that's really nice but it does sort of it does bring me back to that you know it was the soundtrack to my first love, which is so cliche, but it really, really was. Like, I was so swept up in it. Yeah. Everything. It was like, I'm fairly sure, like, I had my first kiss, you know, that mattered yeah. to this album. That's insane. Yeah. And it, like, brings me right back to that to that year. And to that, it was more than a year because I was listening to it for as long as I could. Mm. And it just brings me right back there. And it's it, it was such a lovely time. Because as I said, like, you don't feel anything as much now or like any time after your teens it's just kind of is a lessened sort of diluted version of that that mm. you don't get your first love again so yeah yeah it's really it's a magical album and I think you don't get the first album that you love again yeah. as well yeah. like it's it's such a like when you're six, 16 did you say you yeah, were 16 like, or 17 God, I'm not sure which it's it's only music and fancying people there's yeah. nothing else going on like this and it's like, an album about fancying people yeah, as well or about exactly. like you know falling in love and feeling like this kind of you're torn between you know should I shouldn't I yeah and I was you know I was going through all that and I was like oh, finally I'm understood yeah and it's pretty forthright with its emotions as well yeah. it's pretty like yeah things are really difficult for me right now yeah and you're 16 you're like things are really difficult for me right now I relate this is amazing <laughs> Finally, I wanted to ask you, what's your what's your favorite song on the record? It's got to be nineteen. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen was like if me and my first girlfriend were ever going to get couple tattoos, it okay. would have been from that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. It was yeah. It was just a gorgeous song. Um. 
and I still love it. Like I still, that to me is the one song that really kind of holds up in terms of even like structure of writing a song. I probably follow that still. Mm. Um, Cause it kind of goes to that like quieter bridge where it's like this kind of plucking guitar and then this build up of where the guitars and drums come back in. And it's like this really powerful vocal towards the end. Um, yeah, it's gorgeous. It's a lovely song. I would, that's a song that I would still bring to people and be like, this is great. Yeah. Listen to this song. I, I had the experience of listening to that, having never heard any of the songs on the record. And I the first time I listened to the record, I was like, yeah, this is good. I, I had s- songs that I really liked, songs that didn't hit me as much. Mm. And once the first chorus in 19 happened, I was like, oh my God, yeah. what, how have I never heard this song before? Yeah. I was brought back to my teen years <laughs> and I didn't even know this album then. Like it was a really like punchy, emotional, like, like bordering on emo yeah. sort of feeling and you're yeah. just like you can imagine people like yelling it in a it's like quite anthemic as well yeah gorgeous song I really so really nice. loved that song in yeah. particular I love the closer as well don't ask me to say what the name of it is but I, uh, I haven't got it written down in front of me the closer is, was, was really really great um Oh, actually, yeah. I wanted to ask you yeah. out of T because it's I, I find it really interesting that Tegan and Sarah both they each take seven songs on oh. the record. Okay, yeah. Um, well, I was going to ask you, do, did you have do a favorite between them? But I, rem- I, I battled with this. Like this was a kind of thing, you know, where you were a Tegan fan or a Sarah fan when I was first in interested in the band, and mm. I so Sarah songs were the singles usually mm. and then Tegan songs were kind of these like strange sort of rocky ones I think that's usually how it went unless I have it the opposite way around but I usually loved the ones that weren't kind of singles like with all the rest of the albums I was like oh no that's kind of weird and I like that that's weird um, but you could kind of tell maybe that some of the songs were written to be singles mm. um, and that some were just kind of for album tracks mm. But it always seemed like, yeah, I think it was Sarah songs were the singles because they had um, Back in Your Head was a single, was like a big single. And mm. that's a Sarah song. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, they both have their charms. Yeah. I didn't realize they'd taken half each. Yeah, seven each. That's cool. I think it starts with two from Tegan, ends with two from Sarah and then the rest are. Oh, cool. Kind of, um, it was just when I was looking at the track yeah. listing, I was like, that's really interesting. Yeah. And there's none where they double up. They don't seem to have written any songs together. Yeah. Um, I think they do it later down the line because they'd said they'd lived on opposite sides of the country for a while at that point so they were writing really separately and then they decided they wanted to do an album where they were writing together hmm. I can't recall which album it was um, but yeah it's, this was their best one it's, it's funny that it's um, that they're like so far into their career and they're like maybe we should try writing together I know yeah <laughs> What would that look like? I think they were all like the way they wrote were real kind of like diary entries. So they mm. weren't sharing them with each other. They weren't even kind of sharing the lyrics until they had to do harmonies. And mm. then it was like, this is what it says, but don't ask me what it means. Yeah. Which is how pillow queens operate as well. We're like, don't ask me what the lyrics mean. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you ever met Tegan and Sarah? No. Oh my God. What would I do? I've, I've been on a Zoom with them. Have you? Yeah. Oh, that was even so much. I'm like, like, I feel like I've butterflies talking about this. Uh, it's ridiculous. I'm thirty. Um, but they had so Pillow Queens are part of this um initiative to kind of push for gender equality across festivals um in Europe called Key Change, and Key Change have run a few sort of like Zoom panels and that kind of thing. And one of them was with Tegan and Sarah. Uh-huh. So it was all the um festival participants were on a Zoom with Tegan and Sarah. But there was only like 
15 people plus Tegan and Sarah and I was one of the 15 and I was like sitting there I was like had my camera on like staring they were like can everyone just turn their camera off and put, turn yourselves on mute and I was like okay oh no it's very sad but then a couple months later I think it was only last month I was standing in the chipper in Stony Batter waiting on a single and I got a notification that Tegan and Sarah had followed Pillow Queens on Twitter and I was like oh my god Oh my god! And I was like standing in the chipper. I was like, I can't celebrate this. this <laughs> what am I gonna do? And I just like took a screenshot of it and like put it on Instagram. I was just like, I'm trying not to get sick. Like, that was like... <laughs> so like, anytime I'm sending a tweet now, I'm just like, they're gonna see this. Like, this is so. Bizarre. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And even like, so they uh, soak open for Tegan and Sarah on their European tour, mm. and then we went on tour with Soak. And I can't tell you the the amount of times we're like and what are they like <laughs> and like how short are they really because like I know they're quite short but like are they really nice and who's your favourite and so it's just like or Bridie's just like can you stop like this is this important like I was like yes that's good and would would you if, if you met them would you be alright no, no I don't think okay. so I right, don't, and so. there's not many people I don't think there's anyone else in the world who I couldn't at least pretend to not be starstruck about it that sentence makes sense anyway you know what I mean yeah. that I, you know and <laughs> but with them I just don't think I'd be able for it yeah I really I think it's probably a, it's for the best that I don't meet them yeah <laughs> what would I say <laughs> just like squeal at thank them. you or but, yeah or I was <laughs> you, you could always tell them that this is, is your favorite of their record and they'd be like that's not even our favorite record and then yeah. it would just destroy your dreams forever I would worry that that would happen because mm-hmm. anytime like obviously it's a much smaller scale but like I was waiting on an iced coffee this morning in Smithfield somebody came over and was like oh my god you're in Pillow Queens I love Pillow Queens and I was like thank you so much and then there's like my mind starts going I'm like do you love us as much as I loved Tegan and Sarah like how much <laughs> like if I brought out a shoe would you buy the shoe you know <laughs> like oh you haven't said anything in 30 seconds Sarah she thinks you're a weirdo I think that's a perfect place to leave it if, if you brought out a shoe I would buy your shoe thank Sarah. you so much Andrea. I appreciate it follow Sarah uh, she's at at Broccoli Deadly yeah Broccoli Deadly Broccoli Deadly uh, spelled the way it sounds on um, on Twitter follow Qu- Pillow Queens at Pillow Queens. Uh, Pillow Queens debut record is available in all good record shops and from their Bandcamp page. Yes. Um, you can also stream it, but try and buy it. Um, I'm Andrea Cleary. You've been listening to my favourite album and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks so much to Sarah. This has been My Favourite Album with me, Andrea Cleary, an original production with Tall Tales. <laughs> <laughs>